You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? There are different athletes turned business people who you see and you think, that guy's really savvy. That guy really knows. I think Gary Sheffield actually is a really savvy guy. I don't think Magic Johnson is savvy. I think he has a ton of charisma, surrounds himself with good people, and when he says something that sounds really dumb or or ill-informed, I kind of feel like that's him a lot of the time. Hey now, what's cracking? Welcome back to the Jim Rome Podcast, and thank you so much for finding your way to episode 211. My guest this week is a prolific author and sports writer. And if you think that phrase, prolific author, is played out and overused, just know it is not. Not in this case. Because my guest this week has been pumping out bestsellers for nearly two decades now, and he goes about that far back, too, with the jungle. My guest this week is Jeff Perlman. And if you read about sports, odds are pretty damn good that you have read my guy Jeff. He has written for SI. He's got books on hoops, books on baseball, books on football, but he has never had one adapted for the screen, not until now. His book Showtime on the 80s Lakers has become the HBO series Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, and that makes it a perfect time for a deep dive on that project and the dynasty that changed the game. It is episode 211 with best-selling author Jeff Perlman, and it's coming at you right now. Jeff, my man, I am so eager to talk to you about your latest project. But first things first, it's been a moment or so. So how are you? How is the fam? How are you living? How is your California life? As I always say, Jeff, I I would not be living in California if it were not for you and coming out to do the show um, back in the day. And uh, I had to drag my wife out here, and she loves it, and she praises you often because it's, it's the best place we've ever lived. So... All props to you. I love that. I never get tired of hearing that, and I'm so glad that worked out so well. All right, Jeff, so HBO's dramatic series, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, is in fact based on your 2014 book, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. This is going to drop on March 6th on HBO. It's also going to stream on HBO Max. I would imagine, Jeff, the whole thing's got to feel a tiny bit surreal, but as you get closer to the premiere, how do you feel? I feel like I'm living an episode of Entourage. <laughs> like, we used to watch Entourage in New York. And, you know, they would always complain about having to drive to Orange County, and they talk about the industry, and I just thought it was all fantasy. And I feel like I've, been, I've gone to Hollywood fantasy camp. And, you know, like, you've known me for a long time. Like, writers, we're used to being in dark rooms and kind of sitting by ourselves and sitting in coffee shops. And this has just been a really weird, trippy, cool experience. And seeing your book come to life, like actually going to set 
and seeing them do things that you literally wrote about in your book is a really weird, fascinating, cool experience. You know, I was going to ask you about that, Jeff. That's got to be so surreal. I was going to say, what's it like to see this thing play out when you go to the set? However, let me go back to your first point. Like, Hollywood is often a strange place, and so often every story has its own story. So how, in fact, did this particular project come to be? All right, so first of all, I love when I'm talking to you about this because I feel like you would understand this. Like, through the, through the years, I've had books optioned where someone comes to you and they say, we want to make this a movie, and we'll, you know, we'll pay you a little, and we want to make it a movie. And there's just so much BS in this world, in that industry. Everybody loves everything. Every meeting is a great meeting. Everyone knows Denzel or someone's friends with Denzel. And after a while, you become really jaded to it. And I've had a lot of books optioned. Nothing ever happened. And after a while, I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And there was a, a guy named Jim Hex in 2014, a struggling screenwriter. He had done Ice Age, The Meltdown. Like, that was his big credit. And he's like, I just read your book. And I really want to do it. I think this could be something amazing. And I was like, all right, whatever. Okay. And he's like, I'll come to your house. And this is before the Rome effect. And I moved to California. I was living in New Rochelle, New York. And he shows up at my house on Easter Sunday, 2014, two Jews on Easter. And came to family dinner, and he brought three things. He brought a tomato, a block of Baker's chocolate and saran wrap, and wine drink. Not wine, but wine drink. And my, my wife was like, who, the, who is this guy? Like, what is this? I, you know, it's so weird and, and peculiar. It was just the whole dinner. My family's like, wait, who is this guy? And so I love the book, and I just think it can be something. And I did Ice Age, and blah, blah, blah. And... That was the beginning, but nothing happened for years. There was a lot of talk. I never believed any of it. Then one day, a couple years ago, he's like, Adam McKay wants to talk to us. So I Google Adam McKay because I had no idea who he was. We go to his house, and he's like, man, I really like the book. I think this could be great, blah, blah, blah. And I still didn't believe him. And then um, a couple years ago, contracts come from HBO, and my agent's like, this is real. And the the moment it really hit me, honestly, is when I started reading articles like, a unnamed HBO series based on whatever, Perlman's book or Laker book, cast Adrian Brody or cast John C. Ryan. And I think when they cast Sally Field, that's when I was like, whoa, this is kind of a different thing for me. Jeff Perlman joining us, that's amazing. Like, it wasn't until then that you actually fully accepted and believed it. I'm curious, when Hecht, and that's quite a story too, like, for those who don't know, like, what did the tomato, the block of chocolate, and the wine drink represent? Why those three things? I have absolutely no idea to this day. I think it's because he's coming on Easter and most of the shops in Grand Central that where he caught his train were probably closed. And he's like, I have to bring something. And usually you would bring flowers and maybe like a pie. So he brought tomato, chocolate, and wine drink. He is, uh, he's in recovery, so the wine drink I understand. But the others are very confusing. <laughs> okay, so when he, he comes to you, and you've heard this before, Jeff, you laid that out. Like, I've been down this road before. I'm kind of jaded. These things never happen. I'm curious. When Hecht initially started to shop the project around town, what was the initial reaction to him? I think there was interest, but there was a lot of concern. It's kind of like, number one, are we going to so are we gonna get Magic involved? Are we going to have Kareem involved? Are they going to want to do it? Do we have to get the Lakers involved? Um, how much money are we going to have to pay? I went on a bunch of meetings or a handful of meetings with him. At one point, there was, there was talks, I think, with Will Smith. And we met with one of Will Smith's rep, and he seemed interested, and he wasn't interested. It just, it always seemed like there was someone interested, this could really happen, and then nothing would happen, like over and over again. 
So, Jeff, what about that? I was going to jump. I mean, it's actually I'm jumping ahead. But when you mentioned Magic and you mentioned Kareem, like the Lakers who played at that time, the principals, are any of them or were any of them involved in the project? No, the only people who are involved, like from uh, player-wise, Rick Fox has been an advisor, Rick who played later with the Lakers, and uh, Jim Jones who played during that era has been advising. But uh, Magic, Kareem, uh, Jeannie Buss, who I, I very much like, not involved at all. And I don't think they're that happy about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, too, but let me ask you. So, like, they're not involved. It, it sounds like maybe that's a bad thing, but is it or could it be a good thing that they're not? I don't think it's a bad thing. First of all, it gives you, you know, creative license, and you don't have people looking over your shoulder every minute. And I, I remember early on in my career, I saw the movie We Are Marshall. It's one of my least favorite sports movies of all time. And I was talking to a screenwriter friend of mine, and I'm like, how can they, this is terrible, and how could they take this tragedy and add, you know, flourishes to it and make it different? And the guy's like, man, because it's Hollywood, and you're not, it's entertainment. It's not just, it's not a documentary, it's entertainment. Whenever I make this show, it's not a documentary. It's entertainment. I think it's, it's very interpretive in a lot of ways. Like, it's, it's Larry Bird, but it's not word-for-word word Larry Bird. It's Magic Johnson. It's not word-for-word word Magic Johnson. It takes flourishes. It plays with the time period. And I just think if you had the more people you had involved, uh, you know, the more chefs in the kitchen, I think it would actually be a worse. It's a great show. I'm not just saying it's a great show. And I feel like uh, it wouldn't be as great, perhaps. See, Jeff, that, that's why I asked that question, and you're one step ahead of me. I was going to say this is not a documentary. Let's be clear about that. It's not a documentary. It's a dramatic series. So how much creative liberty did these folks take with your book? I mean, a decent amount. The, I kind of view it this way. I, first of all, I never wanted to be the author who's hovering over. You know, like there are horror stories in this, in this business, apparently, of, of authors who refuse to let go and someone, some assistant producer has to say, listen, man, you have to leave the set. This is too much. And I never wanted to be that guy. I kind of view like, I wrote the book. Here it is. You paid me for it. It's yours to do with what you please. They've been awesome about asking me for opinions and insights, showing me every episode, showing me every script. But it's not mine. And so it's not, it's not I can't say it's loyal to the book, but it definitely uses, the, the book has, I'm not saying this guy wrote it, the book has a very strong impact on the show. Um, and a lot of the scenes from the book come to life in the, in the show. Hey, check this sound. Oh yeah, I love that sound. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. You see, Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources once reserved for big business so upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, you know this, right? Scaling your business is, in fact, a journey of endless possibility. I speak from experience. This podcast started out with me selling office chairs. Believe me, we have come a long, long way since then. And believe me, I'm not stopping there. Because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Again, don't take my word for it. Try it out yourself. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. 
All right, so we're going to talk about the show and the casting of the show, but let me ask you this. You talked about how surreal it was to show up on the set. I'm curious. So they all have this work. It's your work, and they're all working with it, and there's so many people involved. So when the guy, when you, when you show up on the set and they know you're the guy, what was the reaction you received from them? Oh, it was so cool. I mean, um, so my wife and I and my kids got to be extras in the show, and we all had our moments. I was a reporter, and my wife was... uh, a secretary, and there was a moment I was in my 70s guard playing a reporter in the commissioner's office. And before they shot, uh, Adam McKay sort of stopped everything and he said, Listen, everyone, this is Jeff Perlman. He wrote the book. This is the reason all of you people are working right now, or something like that. And uh, I, got a st- I got like a standing ovation, which was kind of embarrassing, but also a little magical moment. And they've been, um, yeah, they've just, they've just been awesome. They've been really awesome about it. I think that's an awesome moment. I think that's great. Yeah. All right, so you mentioned We Are Marshall and the issues you had with that. You know, it seems to me, aside from the creative license that they may take in any of these projects, you know, the problem with most sports movies or shows is the athletes are not good enough actors and the actors aren't good enough athletically. Did you bump up against any of that in the casting or at least the way you see the casting for this show? Was that a challenge here? I mean, it had to be because you're talking about the greatest athletes in the world. And they... um they worked hard with these guys. Like there was one guy, the guy who plays Michael Cooper. He's awesome. His name is Delante D'Souza. And I just want to say one of the, one of the awesome things about the show is it really is a dream maker for a lot of young actors. Like this guy, he's always an aspiring actor. A year ago, he was flipping houses in Maryland Hmm. and he saw a casting call and he said, well, I might look a little like Michael Cooper. And now he's playing (laughs) Michael Cooper. And they wanted him. They asked him to take a video of himself playing basketball. And I saw it the other day. It's not good. Like, it's not good at all. And, like, I'm a 49-year-old sports writer. He's probably 23. I would have kicked his ass in basketball. Great. And he, um, in two years, they've just made him a basketball player. They have worked with him and worked with him. And all these guys, like Quincy Isaiah, the guy playing Magic, he was a center at Kalamazoo College in Michigan, Division Three uh, football player. So... His basketball experience, he played, but he wasn't a great basketball player. And he just worked with these guys and worked with these guys. And they also, just being honest, they also have a lot of really good, talented sort of doubles. So when you need a guy dunking on a fast break, they have a lot of guys who, uh, who look really good and have a lot of basketball experience. Hmm. So go back to Quincy Isaiah for a minute, Jeff. Like, for instance, how critical was it to find the right magic? In other words, if the producers don't nail that, I mean crush that, are you and I even having this conversation? Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, uh, Adrian Brody plays Pat Riley. And if you look at Adrian Brody, he doesn't, he doesn't look like Pat Riley. You could see what they were doing. He doesn't look exactly like him. But the guy just has the chops that you would say, I can buy that. John C. Riley, he doesn't look like Jerry Buss, but he has the chops where he can pull it off, on and on. So, like, Magic and Kareem, you couldn't get two guys who just sort of play basketball and are young and African-American. Like, you had to really go after it. And I know the casting of Magic, Quincy Isaiah, I've just never seen anything like it. Like, there are moments when I've been watching and I forget it's him, or you'll see a picture of Quincy in his Magic garb and think, you have to look at a picture of Magic to say, oh, yeah, right, they're a little different. And um, the Kareem casting, so Solomon, Dr. Solomon Hughes is a, um, he played a cow. He was a center cow. He's six foot ten. He played center for the Globetrotters, and I don't know how he did it, but his freaking skyhook 
is 100% Kareem-esque. And you look at him, again, much like they did with, with Magic and Quincy, and you just think, am I looking at Kareem or am I looking at Solomon Hughes? It's really impressive. I want to say something, Jeff. I think I, I know you and I are good friends. We go back a long way. I know that you would not be saying shit like this just to say it. You wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. I know you wouldn't. So it really is amazing that when you say a guy like that learned the skyhook or that you look at Quincy and you look at Magic and sometimes you have to do a double take, I know you mean these things when you say these things. Like from the show itself, you know, and in real life, from a basketball standpoint, Magic and Kareem, I'm talking about the actual thing now, Magic and Kareem were pretty different guys, obviously. So what was the dynamic like between them on and off the floor when they played for the Lakers? I mean, on the floor, the thing that Magic did that was really smart when he arrived in 79 is he was very deferential from the beginning, like very deferential. If you remember, he never called Kareem Kareem. He always called him Cap. It was always Cap for captain. And um, so he would always look for him in the low post. He wouldn't complain about him. I mean, he was a slower – Kareem was a slower guy. He was slowing down that offense to a certain degree. Magic, especially early on, was always – he was never complaining about it. He knew how his bread was being buttered. Off the court, no relationship. And that doesn't mean it was bad. Just Magic was a 20-year-old kid, and Kareem was a guy entering his mid-30s. So off the court, no relationship. But on it, a perfect basketball relationship. So you know the best athletes know that your championship body is not built in a day. Well, the same is true when it comes to your long-term financial goals. Get financially fit with M1, the finance super app. It is commission-free, and it makes growing your money easier so you can strategize for the end game. Build a custom portfolio or choose a pre-built portfolio that speaks to your goals. Then automate your everyday money moves and use your extra time to watch the highlights. They even make it easy to stick to your investing strategy by automatically rebalancing your investments. Every time you buy into your portfolio, keeping your investments close to where you want them to be. That way, your portfolio sticks to the plan for the long game. There are no huddle-ups necessary. Visit m1finance.com sports. That's M with the number one. Sign up and see why money, Investopedia, and Yahoo Finance are proud superfans of M1. That's M, the number one, dot com slash sports. Investing does involve risk, including the risk of loss. M1 Finance, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Jeff Perlman's joining us. And Jeff, you mentioned this in brief at the top, but let me go back to this. I know for a fact you and Laker owner Jeannie Buss have always had a really good relationship. The two of you have always gotten along really, really well. But as you said, that the organization itself is not crazy about the project overall. Have you spoken to her? Is she not talking about it? Where does that stand? Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> She doesn't seem to be talking about it. I, um, I really like Jeannie a lot, a lot, a lot. I used to teach at Chapman, and she would come to my class. And uh, she has not kind of responded to me in a long time. And I'm not mad about it at all. I'm just a little bummed about it because I, I actually just said this to a friend of mine a little while ago. Like, you're me. HBO comes along. We want to turn your book into an HBO series. I don't know how you can say no because the owner of the Lakers might be upset about it. Like, I just don't think that was an option for me to say no. And also, she liked the book. Like, she told me that she really liked the book. And that she thought I did her dad and the team justice. So I understand, like, you feel out of control. You're worried how your dad is going to be portrayed. You probably worry how you're going to be portrayed. But um, I hope she's not blaming me or, or taking too much out on me mentally. Because I, I really, really, really like her. 
Jeff, I was going to say, and I know this. I knew that already. And the fact that you just said that she knew, read the book, liked the book. Let me ask you this. Like, I, I understand where they might be concerned. Mm-hmm. However, if they were to sit down and watch this, take the time to watch it and have an open mind, what do you think the reaction would be, their reaction? I think we tend to see what we want to see. Um, like, I see the series as an ode to the Lakers. And I think Jerry Buss comes off as a genius and a visionary. However, he also comes off as kind of a womanizer, which he was, and a guy who dates a lot of women who are 20, 30, 35 years old, you know, younger than him. And that's definitely a part of it, the playboy nature of Jerry Buss. So I think, I think if Jeannie's looking for that and looking to be, you know, to have her feelings hurt or be protective of her dad, she'll see that. But I think if she sits down with an unbiased view, I think she'll really like it. And I know magic I can't imagine Magic Johnson watching this show or Kareem and thinking this is trash. They totally don't get who I was because I think they just nail him. So that said, what has Magic had to say about the project? I only heard one thing. He said he wasn't going to watch it or he wasn't interested in it. And, um, but the thing is, as you know and I know, there's 0% chance Magic Johnson doesn't watch this show. <laughs> right. a 0% chance. Kareem, I could see it. Magic, 0% chance. I think you're right. I agree on both those fronts. You know, in <laughs> fact, to that point about Genie and Magic and Kareem, Jeff, how much of the series is focused on what happens on the floor, and then how much of it is focused on what happens off the court? In other words, is it a series about basketball, or is it a series about something else? I mean, most of it is off the court. Like, you're not going to tune in and watch 30 minutes of basketball on a 60-minute TV show. It's a lot of the building of the team, the dynamic between um, Magic and uh, Jerry Buss, a lot of it, a good amount to my great happiness, is about the original sort of coach during that era, Jack McKinney, who only lasted a handful of games before he had a bike accident. It's about Jerry Tarkanian being hired as the first Laker coach for a brief spell before his agent was found murdered in a trunk of a car. Like, it's about Spencer Haywood coming along and having these drug problems as a young player. So, you know, there's a lot of drama in it. It's not just Lakers play Sixers, Lakers play Nuggets, Lakers play Mavs. There's a lot more to it than that. You know, I was going to ask you about Jack McKinney because, of course, I, I remember that story pretty clearly. But this, it's clear, and hearing it from you right now, Jeff, it's clear that that was really important to you that McKinney got the proper treatment in the book. Why was that so important to you? I'm literally sitting in my office right now, and I have a letter Jack McKinney before he died hanging in my office. And... That was the most important part of that book. That was the most important part of my research. Um, I didn't know anything about Jack McKinney before it started. I feel like most people didn't know anything about Jack McKinney um, or forgot, had forgotten about him. He was, the, he was hired by Jerry Buss to coach the Lakers Magic's rookie year. He'd been an assistant at Portland and then the, the head coach at St. Joe's for many years. Um, he was the one who was like, we need to run. We're going to do this wide open offense. We're going to you know, play to Magic's skills, to Norm Mixon's skills, to Jamal Wilson's skills. And then I think it was 16 games into the season, he, uh, on an off day, he goes to play tennis with his one assistant coach, Paul Westhead, is riding his bike, flips over the handlebars of the bike on a short stop, lands on his head. And I would say this is amazing. This is the late head coach of Los Angeles Lakers. Is brought to the hospital as a John Doe and is in the hospital for hours as a John Doe. Nobody knows who he is. And he ended up never coaching the Lakers again. And Paul Westhead led the team to a championship. And I just really, really like the idea of people remembering and sort of honoring Jack McKinney. 
I mean, it's wild, right? Like, they're totally different guys. He and Pat Riley, for instance. Mm-hmm. But everything being equal, I mean, and it's just conjecture, but do the Lakers still win a championship or championships under McKinney if he never suffers that accident, if you had to guess? I mean, I think they win that 79-80 because Paul Westhead was running McKinney's offense. Does, does Jack McKinney wind up being having the success of Pat Riley? I mean, it'd be really hard to say. I mean, it'd be really hard to say yes, just because Riley was just a different level. Um, but I think he was an excellent, excellent basketball coach. Hey, Jeff, go back to Tark for a minute. Like they, <laughs> you want to talk about something surreal. Did, was, was Joey Tarkanian really the head coach of the LA Lakers? Did that really happen? And I, I say that as somebody, I love Tark, the rogue. There was Tark. I, you know, I have a big West background. I went to UC Santa Barbara. Some of my fondest memories ever is somebody coming up in the business was watching my alma mater and UNLV back in the day. But did Tark actually coach the Lakers? And what's the story about his agent? No, he took the job. So basically, Jerry Buss buys the Lakers, wants to make a splash, goes to Las Vegas, offers to make Jerry Tarkanian the highest-paid coach in the NBA right off the bat. Tarkanian originally doesn't want to take the job, takes the job. Um, his agent is a guy named Dick Weiss, who had a lot of shady dealings, sort of mafioso stuff. And um, so Tarkanian takes the job. He's going to be the next coach at Lakers. He's mentally preparing. I think it was that same week or the week after, his agent is found dead in the trunk of a car uh, over some, you know, some sort of uh, shady money dealings. And Tarkanian, this was his closest friend, is sort of overwhelmed, uh, emotionally devastated, and just decides to stay put in Vegas and not take the Laker job. And that became Jack McKinney. Hmm. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have a credit card... When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, someone who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. So, Jeff, so many people are looking to reinvent themselves, obviously, and especially when you and I get to where we are in our lives and in the business. You had never done anything like this before, and it sounds like so far it's been an amazing experience for you. Do you now have the bug, and are you going to delve further into screenplays? Well, you know, I, um, a friend of mine, a former colleague of mine named John Wertheim, who's also a sports writer, we actually were recently hired to write our first screenplay, and um, we're working on it now, a non-sports story, actually. I just... I'm kind of like you, actually. I've, I, I really admire the way you sort of reinvent and you rethink and you morph and you change, which you have to do. And there does come a point where you're like, Am I, how many more books do I need to write? Or how, how can I do something different and how can I change it up? So it's not because it has nothing to do with like a premiere party or seeing your name on a movie screen or whatever TV screen. I just think it's important to keep things fresh in your life and try new, new stuff. No, you're so right. Now, I know you're, you're not about the red carpet. Now, if you happen to walk across the red carpet, that might be kind of neat and kind of fun, and the family might like that. You mentioned John Wertheim. He's another really brilliant, brilliant guy. So what yeah. exactly is the next project? Well, I, well, book-wise, I have a Bo Jackson biography coming out in October. Mm. And uh, screenplay-wise, we actually were working on a screenplay about a fictional school shooting in a small town. So two disparate 
projects. All right, so let me ask you, I want to ask you about both those things before you go. What about the, the thing that you and he are working on? Were you specifically looking to do nothing sport or something non-sports related to change up, or was that something you felt strongly about? How did that come to be? Someone approached us, someone who had worked with us at Sports Illustrated, and uh, had an idea about sort of this idea of a school shooting and what the experience of after afterwards. Like, after the two weeks when everyone says, we need to stay strong, we're going to rally together, and you're just left in this numb state. And I love the idea of writing non-sports stuff. I really do. So when we talked about it, we jumped right into it. And I mean, the more non-sports stuff I can do, the better. I kind of feel that way. Don't you ever feel that way? We just like the idea of doing stuff that has nothing to do with sports whatsoever. Yes, yes, which is why I started a side hustle to my side hustle, The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome. It's a podcast that I, I will put sports figures on, but as little as possible, and it gives me an opportunity to speak to people that I've never spoken to before, that I admire, yeah. that I respect, and yes, yes. I, and don't get me wrong, you and I are not here because we're tired of sports or sick of sports or feel like it's a job. Every single day we wake up, we're like, no way, they pay us to talk sports. It's awesome but it's also awesome to go someplace else and talk to other people, right? I think so. Like, I really want to write a Tupac Shakur book. Like, that's one of my dreams, to write a biography of Tupac. I just think it'd be a refreshing vacation from sports and, and something totally different in a, in a world I, you know, I would love to sort of uncover. No, and I fully suspect that you will do that. I expect you to do that. Now, what about Bo? To me, Jeff, and you give me your thoughts, in all my years of doing this, Bo Jackson is just quite frankly the finest athlete and specimen that I've ever seen, spoken to, covered in my entire life. I really believe that. He's one of one. There is nobody like Bo Jackson. I'll say that until the end of time. Is he involved in the project, and what's that been like? He, uh, well, he called me early on because I sent him my books and wrote him a letter. I'd never met Bo Jackson. And he called me, and we talked for about 40 minutes, and he was very nice. And he basically said to me, you know, because he wrote his autobiography, Bo Knows Bo, with Dick Schapp. Uh, in 1989, and said he actually said to me, he's like, I always promised Dick if I wrote another book, it would be with Jeremy Shap, mm. and who is funny because I'm friends with Jeremy, and um, I was like, all right, but he was like, I don't mind if you do it, I don't care if you write it, but I'm not going to do it with you, I'm, I'm not going to help you, and since then I've interviewed more than 700 people, and I've wow. taken a deep, deep dive into his life. Yeah, it's been a hard one. 700 so it's been hard because it's been exhaustive like what i mean this is what you do this is what you do this is your brand why has this one been hard well number one is during covid so i couldn't travel as much as i wanted to so that was that was difficult and also he's really enigmatic i don't know how much you've dealt with him oh oh, yeah dude he's different he's different and i i mean that i don't mean that in a good or bad way he's just different yes he's very enigmatic very enigmatic and very quirky and um hard to read and hard to grasp. And I feel like a million people know him, but very few know him, know him, if that makes sense. And um, so it's really hard to break through that shell and kind of figure out what makes someone tick. And he's probably the most challenging person I've had in that regard. No, yeah, I I think that's very well said. I remember, because like there are times, Jeff, when I've spoken to him when he's, you know, I don't want to say that he's moody because I don't know Bo well enough to even say that. I'm just saying that there are conversations. Would you say he is? Yeah, he's definitely moody. Okay, well, you know better than me. I would say this. I love the guy, but there are times that I've spoken with him, and only a handful of times, but there are times when it's been easier than other times. I can say that. But one of my favorite moments, he was on set with me because he had a power bar. He had a bar that he he had his name on. And now I'm not talking about like a Baby Ruth candy bar. I'm talking about a power bar back in the day. He said, you want one? And what was I going to say? So I'm eating this bar on the air, and I'm like, 
delicious, Bo. May I have another when it was not delicious? Yeah. But, but, you know, but he's Bo freaking Jackson, man. So whatever you, whatever this guy was going to ask me to eat, I was going to eat. What if this guy said jump, I would have said how high because he's Bo. I mean, I try and be objective about these guys, but Bo is just different, right? Like in terms of athleticism, who, who would you even compare him to? Is there anybody who could do what Bo could do in two sports? I mean, like a Hall of Famer in two sports? I mean, I guess you could argue Jim Thorpe and you could right. argue Dion. I mean, Jim Thorpe obviously wasn't the athlete Bo is, and I wouldn't say Dion is the athlete Bo is. And I really think, I don't know if you feel this way, like, I, the thing about Bo that makes him a book, like, let's say he had played 12 years, and let's say he became the next Eric Dickerson in football, and let's say he was Raul Mondesi in baseball. He wouldn't be nearly as interesting. Like, the whole thing is the, the intrigue of what could have been had he not been hurt that day, and then playing with an artificial hip. There's just this huge question mark over his career, which makes the whole debate of, is he the greatest athlete of all time, all the more interesting. It's such a Jeff Perlman take. I agree with you 100%. 100%. So before yep. you go, let me ask you this. Like, you've you've done, now you've done the 80s Lakers. The 90s version would be a, a, a logical follow-up project, and there's been some noise about that. So where does that stand? Is there a sequel coming to what we're about to see? I hope so. I've been getting a lot of, are you going to write about the LeBron-era Lakers? Then there's that. Would anybody want to hear about that? Would anyone want to read about this? So they win the year when they're playing in the bubble, and then you go through this mess with the, with the Westbrook Lakers. I mean, Shaq, Kobe years would be fantastic. I think it'd make a great TV series. I think it'd make a great follow-up, the whole thing. I just don't think anyone cares about the modern Lakers. Listen, because you're my guy, if you do it, I'll talk to you about it. But no, this does not interest me nearly as much. The 90s version does. So finally, leave me with this thought. You've done the 80s. You know the 90s version. Which personally do you find more intriguing, the 80s or 90s version? I think the 80s. I just think uh, there's something about that time period in L.A. And it just felt – I mean, there's there's a moment in my book where Magic Johnson is first time in L.A., he stops the car. He asks the guy to stop the car, steps out, grabs an orange off a tree, and goes, you grow fruit here. You just, <laughs> you just grow fruit on trees? And I just think that whole era is that moment, like this era of discovery. and like, holy, you grow, you grow fruit on trees in California? This is amazing. And I, I, I love that. I, mean, I, I never heard that before. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. Actually, one last thought. I've heard you talk about this. Is there, is there a misconception about magic perhaps off the floor that needs to be straightened out? Is that is there a tremendous embellishment about his activity and actions off the floor, or might it be close to what we think it is or what you might think it is? I, uh, I think he's a little bit of the accidental tourist. Like, I would say in a lot of ways he is an ode to being smart enough to surround yourself with really wise people and wise investors. But I do not, like... I think George Foreman, just as an example, has had an incredibly savvy post-boxing career. And I think it's because George Foreman is actually a pretty savvy guy. And there are different athletes turned business people who you see and you think, that guy's really savvy. That guy really knows. I think Gary Sheffield actually is a really savvy guy. I don't think Magic Johnson is savvy. I think he has a ton of charisma, surrounds himself with good people. And when he says something that sounds really dumb or or ill-informed, I kind of feel like that's him a lot of the times. <laughs> it's really interesting. Really interesting. Like in the other guys you mentioned too, Jeff, for instance, I'll never forget the first time I, I dealt with George Foreman way back in the day 
when he came out of retirement and he was the fighting grandfather and he had that smile and he was so yeah. beloved and he was just like hamburgers, hamburgers, hamburgers. <laughs> I remember trying to interview him for the first time and I saw what he was really like. He was not that guy. There, there was no. nothing about him. He was a fraud. It was like a yep. lie. He was yep. not that guy. He, you know what he was? When I, my personal dealings with him, he was George Foreman in Zaire. Like, we thought this guy came back in his 50s when he was fighting. Like, wow, he's evolved. He's wonderful. He's lovely. He seemed like he was that guy in Zaire that was so angry and cantankerous. So I think I know what you mean by saying he was savvy. He figured it out. That was my personal dealings with him. What about you? No, that's really funny. I... I just think I, I never dealt with foremen, but I just think there are guys who are super savvy and, and smart and are five steps ahead. And then there are guys who are just kind of accidental tourists along the way. And they, they don't get lucky because Magic Johnson has worked hard his whole life. I just don't think he's, I don't think he's a genius businessman in the way foreman was kind of a genius businessman. And some of the other guys are genius businessmen. I think he has a great smile. He surrounds himself with good people. Um, he has a good reputation. He's generally gen, generally a very nice person. And that stuff carries you a long way. Hey, Jeff, really quickly. So what do you make of that Twitter feed then? I, I, like, oh. does he, I mean, is, is, he, is he not trolling all of us and writing really inane things to get us to react? Or is this really him? And are those really his legitimate tweets? I just don't think he's that bright of a guy, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hate to say it. Like, I don't, yeah, I think that's him. Like, I think Kareem is a genius. I do. I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, as surly as he can be, is an absolute genius. I don't think Magic Johnson is anything resembling a genius. And I think when he tweets really dumb stuff, he's a guy. You know who the, my least favorite people in the world are? Dummies who think they're really smart. And I'm not saying he's a dummy, but I think he thinks he's way smarter than he is. And Kareem is ab- absolutely as smart as he thinks and we know he is. Can I tell you something? Because you're a guy who loves stories, and you have you have more name, buddy. And I've told this story, so let me give you the short version just to get your take on this. So when I started my TV career with ESPN2, and I did that TV show Talk To, I had a brilliant, brilliant young PA or AP named Mark Shapiro, who would later go on to run that network and do way more. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. yeah, so he was amazing, this kid. And what he, part of his job, Jeff, in, in addition to helping me research every single night, he would prep every single guest. And the kid was so upbeat, Shapiro. Every single night, no matter who we talked to, no matter what kind of mood they were in, I would say, how's the guest? And he would always be, great, great, great. Loves you, loves you, loves you. Can't wait to be here. Can't wait to do it. And the answer never changed because he always wanted me to be in the right mind space or headspace and be upbeat. And Kareem comes in one night. And I remember thinking, why in the world is Kareem doing this? But he did. So he comes into my office, and I said, how's Kareem? And Shapiro looks at me, and he goes, good luck with that one. Wow. Yeah, right? I mean, and he never, ever gave me any other answer other than he loves you, she loves you, they want to be here. And he very curtly says, good luck with that one. I go into the green room, Jeff, and it's just me and Kareem. And I sit down next to him, and I say, Kareem, I look him in the eye. Thank you so much for being here. I have such profound respect for you. I really appreciate it. We're all eager. We're all excited. Is there anything I can answer before we start? He looks right at me. He looks right through me and doesn't respond. Keep in mind, it's just me and him in this room. I said, um, okay. Hey, are you okay? Is there something we need to talk about? Do we? Is there anything I can do? Dude, this went on for three or four exchanges. He doesn't say a word. Like, I understand it's tough to be a seven-footer in a six-footer's world, but, dude, that was weird. Weird. So, 
he How does the interview. He, he does the yeah. interview, and it's pained, and we get through it somehow. But what is that? I, I will tell you this. I don't know if you've experienced this. He has the worst public uh, PR person in the history of mankind. The worst. Who does not make it easier for him. Okay, now I remember the publicist at that time, and I remember her, and I remember her name, and I remember her being very difficult, and I still remember thinking, what are these people doing here? Is it the same publicist? I'm sure it is, and it's insane, because that guy has so much to offer. I'll I'll tell you a crazy story. I was working on this book, Showtime, and his publicist kept saying, no, no, no. I went to the Basketball Hall of Fame because Jamal Wilkes was being inducted, and I, and I had time scheduled with Jamal, who was very nice. And Kareem's publicist texts me and says, Jeff, I have great news. Let's meet so-and-so. So we meet, and I assume the great news is going to be, Kareem wants to talk to you. This is going to be great. Good news. He, just, he, he read your book or something, and he wants to talk to you. No. She goes, all right, what do you think of this? Kareem wants to do a mobile exhibit of his trophies and memorabilia, and we could partner with Sports Illustrated, maybe do it together and have it go town to town. And it could be Kareem's memorabilia sponsored by Sports Illustrated. What do you think of that? I think that's the worst fucking idea ever. Did you tell her that? I didn't even work at Sports Illustrated. I was 10 years removed from the magazine. I was like, what are you talking about? And that was, her, that was his... That was his publicist. Did, did you see how mad I got just hearing that myself? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. It's insane. They have the it's arrogance. Insane. Like they, I, you know what I think? I don't even think it's a pitch. I think that publicist really thought that you would be that blessed and that lucky to partner up with his memorabilia and him. It's insane. And the one thing, I feel like you definitely realize this. I realize this. Like, after a while, all these people are just people. And you stop. The older you get in this business, the less wowed you get. And when people say... What was it like meeting blank? You say it was kind of like meeting our neighbor, except he's more famous. Like, you don't get wowed by these people anymore. And you don't get wowed by hanging out with trophies or stuff. You do it because you love sports and you love talking to people. And when people come along and think you're just going to be blown away because you get a chance with Kareem's, like, national championship trophy, it's moronic. Yeah, that's, that's literally why I got so angry. That's it. I mean, you said it yeah. perfectly. That's why. We're not, no, no, we're not that lucky. You're not blessing us by letting <laughs> us see his trophy. That is wild. All right, so this dramatic series, HBO's dramatic series, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty, is in fact based on Jeff's book. So, Jeff, for those who are uninitiated and are not aware of how streaming works, how premium TV works, lay it all out for me really quickly. When does this drop, and how do they see it? Okay, well, you can. uh, it drops on the 6th on HBO. I think it premieres at 9 o'clock on HBO. But then, because of HBO Max, if you subscribe to HBO Max, you just watch on your on your iPhone or your tablet or your laptop or whatever. Um, and I, I'm sure it'll be playing on demand, too, HBO On Demand. So is there going to be a Perlman viewing party? What is going to happen for the premiere? How do you guys watch that? All right. There is going to be a Perlman viewing party. Um, it's just like seven of us because that's just kind of who I am. And also, since I moved out to California, I left all my family and friends. So it's going to be a small gathering of small family and friends. Good for you, Jeff. Congratulations. Uh, you are a guy that is an absolute workhorse, a man of integrity. I know you attack everything with that same zeal and passion. I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. I'm proud to call you a good friend and really good to talk to you about this. I'm anxious to see it, and congrats on it for sure. Oh, thanks, Jim. That means a ton to me. I really appreciate it.
my man Jeff Perlman. I've got profound respect for him. I consider him a very good friend, and I could listen to him talk about anything. Like, you can listen to him speak for a half hour, and you're always going to learn something. He somehow will take the most interesting topics in sports and make them even more interesting. He'll bring insight into topics that you cannot get anywhere else. Which is why it was so great to get his perspective on one of the association's best and wildest cast of characters ever. Then again, I'm not surprised. I know him, I know what he's about, and I know his work. Also, this is the kind of premium, unfiltered content that you should expect by now from the original Side Hustle. Because we have been delivering this on a weekly basis for over 200 episodes now. And we have yet another episode 212 coming your way next week. So please, if you could, take a second to find and smash the subscribe button if you've not done so already. That way you never, ever have to track down another episode. The free premium content will find its way straight back to you. And while you're looking for that button, let me hit you with your voicemails. First new message. What's up, man? Smack is Brady. Hey, good interview with Alana Myers-Taylor. I still got Olympics on the brain. I wanted to ask, in summer of 2028, you need a house sitter? Because I'm going to probably head out that way and catch some water polo with Brad, watch some boxing with Fabian, maybe some diving with Iray, and all the other sports too. So, uh, yeah, let me know if you need that uh, little house sitting then. Thanks. Message saved. Next message. Hi, Jim. Bella B in Calgary. I have a joke for Paul's dog. How do you stop your dog from barking in your front yard? Put him in the backyard. <laughs> message deleted. Next message. Yimmy, Patrick and Penticton. Radio Row, along with the start of golf season and baseball season, got me fired up. So much I want to go douche and talk about Mount Rushmore's of Radio Row and Rome's best of. Number one, Elk. Number two, Sean Casey. Number three, Romo, and number four, let's throw Ross Tucker in there. That's it. I'm out. Peace. Message saved. Next message. Romy, Justin in Melbourne. So my daughter got this new stuffed animal, and she was kind of bouncing around names, and she made her decision. Her new stuffed animal is Romy. Welcome to the family, Jim. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Romy, what's up? This is David from Buffalo calling in about Phil Mickelson's bullshit apology. Mickelson is apologizing because he got caught and because all these sponsors are saying we're done with you. Mickelson has been a phony for years. He's never going to be Eldrick. He's never going to be Jack. This guy has put on this act like Peyton Manning, this, aw, shucks, I'm just the average dude. Phil Mickelson is a phony bullshit con artist. Everybody knew it around the world of golf. Everybody knew it. The guy thought he was smarter than everybody. The guy thought he could get away with stuff for years with the gambling. I hope he never plays another tournament on the PGA Tour. Out. Message saved. Next message. What's up? Mike in Detroit. Passing great snack off call. Horrible Caesared up lettuce. What's with these owners? Yes, of course they're terrible. It's ridiculous, but part of the problem, these bitch players are also mad that they've lost the last couple times in these negotiations. So they got their panties in a bunch and have to win this time. What a bunch of assholes. Solve it and get the game back on the field. I can't take watching the flopping basketball. Late. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim. Steven Sanderfell here. Um, how can there be a name, two names, Steph Curry and Steve Kerr on the same team? We're both two of the most brilliant people ever. 
Message deleted. You have no more messages.